Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to Rick, the Managing Director of Airport Information Systems, AIS, and how he and his company have carved out a nice niche in the airport industry. Also, how he set up a user group in the industry for them to drive the product development, thus creating a product development life of its own. So let's not delay, let's get Rick into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Rick. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me to do this podcast. Brilliant, yeah. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Rick. What do you do and who do you work for? Well, I work for a company called Airport Information Systems, which I started on the 1st of April 1990. And the brief history of myself is I'm a Jerseyman from the Channel Islands. I joined the RAF at 15, served in the RAF for five years on airborne radar, on working on lightnings, javelins and hunters, which were the fighter aircraft of the day. When I came out, um, I joined ICL, which was a big uh, UK computer manufacturer as a computer engineer. I worked for them for a number of years. Then I went into the Boots Company, which is based in Nottingham, where uh, my wife and I settled when I came out of the Air Force as she came from Nottingham and worked on computerized warehousing. Um, from there, I then joined a company called Digital Equipment Corporation, which was one of the, if not the largest supplier of mini computers in the world, up to they went defunct in the 90s. And I worked on various interesting projects, such as the control of ground flying of the Concorde, which was based at Farnborough, where they had um, a complete Concorde in every respect except for the engines. And they simulated flights to and from New York every hour of the day which was part of the CAA requirements because obviously Concorde being supersonic was groundbreaking, which was lucky because um, they uh, they actually had a major failure of the tail section. And so they had to modify Concords. Otherwise, um, I'm sure they would have all been uh, grounded yeah. at some stage. Yeah. Uh, from that, I uh, joined one of their big customers, a company called Gamma Associates based in Nottingham where I was the um, engineering manager. Uh, Unfortunately, Gamma got into financial difficulties and uh, I was then hired by an American company called Planning Research Corporation International as UK operations director and European engineering director. And we were doing some interesting um, computerization of communications for NATO in Belgium, Computerizing toll roads in Thailand, computerizing facial recognition in the Middle East to try and weed out terrorists going through airports. BRCI uh, then decided they were going to pull out the UK when the American economy in the um, late 80s, uh, sorry, late 70s went into recession. 
I then led a management buyout of the assets of the UK operation with a venture capitalist. We then started and progressed through to become one of DEC's largest OEMs in the UK. Our main product to start with was the wholesale distribution of newspaper tracking. So we had customers like WH Smith, which still in existence today. Plus we went down to the small independent wholesalers. And during that time, because of my Air Force background and the fact that I was also a pilot, uh, I realized that the government was forcing the local councils to make the airports, which in the main they own throughout the UK, to set them up as separate companies proper limited companies, which meant they needed their own accounting type systems. So we developed an aeronautical billing system because you can't just use a sales order processing system that's used by an accounting system. So we developed that and um, we got the first order before we'd even finished the product. And that was for Norwich Airport wow. in Norfolk. Um, towards the end of the 80s, the industry, the computer industry, was being driven by the customers who were saying that they felt that they needed to deal with one entity for things like mainframes, mini computers, cabling, PCs, etc., etc. And a number of companies were set up to satisfy that, and we were approached by one such company. Um, the venture capitalists wanted to get their money out, and so we agreed to sell. Within three months, the company that took us over really didn't have any idea what they were doing. And I lost at least half my staff and our turnover went down was from seven and a half million to down to three million. So wow. I had a meeting with the group chairman who promptly said I was fired. I pointed out <laughs> I hadn't signed their documentation and that uh, he could put it to the board, which I was still managing director and chairman. There was two of them on the board and I had an independent financial director, which gave me as chairman the casting vote. So to cut a long story short, we ended up where he was going to sue me, but then they decided to settle out of court. Right. They didn't have the money to pay me, so they offered me a product and I took the airport product that we developed. So on the 1st of April, 1990, uh, we started AIS. Within the first half hour, we got our first order from the British Airports Authority to go in and um, sort out Presswick Airport, which they were trying to sell, but they had no uh, financial information. And in those days, we did a true turnkey job. We supplied the hardware, the cabling, the software, etc., etc. And from there on, we've just uh, installed over 35 airports of various sizes throughout the UK, Southern Ireland. We did Macau Airport before the Chinese took it uh, back from the Portuguese. And we also worked with BHP, which was the largest Australian company. Their IT section, we won the Cairns Airport project on the Barrier Reef. And that's basically where we started or what I've done over those 31 years, which is this be this year on the 1st of April, AIS has been in existence. We've grown the product, so we've got more software. We've got into flight information display systems, um, security control at gates and at um, the entry to security, as well as developing a lot of ancillary bits and pieces that the customer base wanted.
Yeah, that's a basic um, synopsis of that's a that's a journey today. Yeah, yeah, that is a journey. I mean, that's that's an epic journey, to be honest. I, I, I as I was reflecting, um, you've kind of gone from the beginning of the tech revolution all the way through. You yeah. were at the beginning. You were at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I've seen some of the hardware which has been used in these kind of old systems. You know, the kind of memory systems and the and uh, what have you. Um, has it been fascinating watching the miniaturization of this stuff? Well, to be honest, I never thought little PCs would catch on. I never <laughs> right. People yeah. that want to have PCs in their houses, but obviously I was wrong, along with people like digital equipment who didn't think that was going to happen either. And because they hadn't developed that side of their business, uh, unfortunately, it caught up with them and they went out of business in the early 90s. Yes. But uh, now, I mean, everybody's got a PC, a tablet, a mobile phone that acts as a computer, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Um, some of the uh, the stuff I worked on, the big stuff, I mean, the memory was in cabinets. It'd be like 1K in a cabinet and you'd have 16 cabinets, giving them 16K. And, you know, the room would be uh, ginormous to, to house the hardware. Yeah, and noisy, I imagine. Um, yes. I, I remember Yeah, I remember speaking to uh, somebody where they, they brought in a four megabyte drive or something, yeah. something like that. And, uh, and it was it was like uh, like somebody famous had come into the room. You know, it was like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> well, I had a, an interesting thing. I worked in Norway at Oslo University on a DEX System 10, which was the biggest computer they did. Very, very noisy, especially with line printing, because you had the big old-fashioned 132-column line printers. So what the uh, university allowed them to do was bring their own tapes in and play their own music in the room. Ah. So that nobody, if they sued them for loss of hearing, they'd just say, well, obviously you had your music on too loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different times and uh, obviously yeah. things have moved on. Um, so in terms of your company then, AIS, um, yeah. just so that the audience get an understanding of what, what problem you're solving, what is the problem your, your company is solving? Well, what we're trying to solve is to give an, an airport um, software that allows them to operate the airport or the majority of the airport. And at the end of the day, like any other business, make absolutely certain that they're invoicing correctly for everything that they should be. Right. Uh, I mean, we don't, this is to do with aircraft movements. We don't um, charge or we don't use um, our product to charge for rent and things like that. I mean, the ordinary accounting systems like Sage or Sun or Pegasus, that, that does it just straight away. It's pointless in reinventing the wheel. Yeah. But when an aircraft lands, it attracts all sorts of different fees, apart from the landing fee and parking fees. We've got airports that um, are big executive jet airports actually charge for dog passports. So wow. if you take in a dog, abroad and you own in, in a hired private jet there's a charge for the dog like a passenger tax right okay so what we've our proud boast is wherever we put our system in it's either picked up lost revenue or it ensures that the revenue is correct every time they run the invoice um cardiff airport we put a system in there 
It used to be an old council system. In the first three months, it picked up an additional quarter of a million in lost aircraft parking revenue. Wow. Guernsey Airport, we put a system in there, which again was an old uh, government system. We were supposed to uh, put it in the middle of the summer season, which we did. They wanted a three-month parallel run. After the first invoicing run in July, our system had raised so much more extra money, they just cancelled the parallel run. It was pointless having it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's, that's yeah. impressive stuff. I mean, that's obviously that's solving a big problem, you know, particularly one on the yeah. bottom line of businesses. Um, well, it doesn't matter if you're in an airport or anything, your cash flow is next to godliness. Yes. And if you're missing revenue, it's very difficult to recover it and tell the customer, look, we, we miss billing you this. We want to bill it now because they'll just say, well, tough. Yeah. Uh, another example, Exeter Airport, when we put it in there, um, the financial director told me that in the first run of our system, because it was an old British Airports Authority system, we picked up so much extra revenue that the operators were saying, we know we should have been paying this, but you never charged us. And the managing director had a meeting with them and gave them a sliding scale discount from 100% down to nothing over a year yeah. on the charges that they should have been charged. But the FD always told me if he hadn't done that, the system would have paid for itself in total. That's hardware, software, training, everything in three months. Wow. Just lost revenue. So that's yeah. our proud boast. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to assist the airports to manage their businesses correctly and alongside that give them operational things because obviously to raise an invoice you have to co uh, collect data from ATC, from the handling agents, from your ramp, from your fuelers and all the rest of it. So our proud boast is we validate all the data before you can invoice you have to make sure absolutely or the system does everything is correct because at the end of the day, what you don't want to do is to have to go back to the customer and say, we missed this or mm. we've overcharged that. And here's a credit note because it doesn't look particularly good from the airport's point of view if it's having to do that to its customer base. Yeah. If I had an airport, Rick, I'd buy your system. One of the things that we've discussed uh, previous to the podcast uh, off offline was around your feedback loops. I found this really intriguing how you become aware of what the customers actually want so you are actually solving their problems. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we realised in the early days that <clears throat> we were not the true experts in airport running because we are not airport professionals. And so we formed a user group that gave the um, airport users the opportunity to attend a biannual user group meeting that was also attended by the UK Civil Aviation Authority and the National Air Traffic Service as honorary members who would keep us updated with what the government um, would want. Mm. It was wanting because by law in the UK, um, all airports have to report statistics to the government, which are then fed now, well, up till Brexit into the European parliaments as well. But at the same time, the users uh, attended and they were able to listen to what the governments uh, were forecasting they would want from airports in the future and they could also say to us 
can it do this, can it do that? And then you'd get another airport say, oh, yeah, we'd like that as well. Yeah. And so the rules that we set up was that after we got four airports on board, we would hand over the running of the user group to the airports where they voted on a chairperson and a secretary and that uh, they would then organize them. And the rules being that we supply a package solution, which means that the package isn't, or the software has never been written for a specific airport, yeah. but it meets 80 to 85% of any airport's requirements with the last 10 to 15% tailored to meet their own specific requirements. That if the underpinning of the package was changed by what they wanted, the majority ruled. So the rules were that if the majority wanted it, the minority paid as well. So we kept the integrity of the package, which meant that it kept our costs down as well on the support side. So we weren't supporting myriad different versions of the software, which means that we'd have to charge a fortune and have additional people sitting around the place. Yeah. And that was the basis of it. So it grew from that. And every airport used to send two people and it could be anybody from financial directors, managing directors down to the actual clerks that use the system. But at the end of the day, we got very, very good feedback. Mm. We were able to understand their requirements, put in a, a price. So give you a good example. About five years ago, the CAA changed the way their statistics had to be reported. And it was a major change where they're uploading to um, a portal and they, they wanted additional information, especially on things like uh, aircraft ca uh, flight cancellations, and delays and things like that. So if any airports, if they had their own solutions, it would cost them 25,000 pounds for the modification, where on our airports, we were able to put it out under a thousand pounds per airport. So it saved them a lot of money and uh, we maintained the integrity of the package. And of course, the CAA liked it because it meant they were getting the data they wanted from all the users of our software. Yeah. Where other other um, software providers had trouble supplying the information to them. Brilliant. I think that was a stroke of genius to, to, to set up that user group. I loved how you set up the feedback loop and then kind of handed yeah. it off, you know, so there was an independence of uh, element and self-driven as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I, I think that's quite uh, a, a great lesson for, for many tech leaders out there, particularly to myself, because I think sometimes we're always craving for those feedback loops and rather than yeah. them coming to you by accident, you create them, you know, and then and set them off. Well, the other thing is as well, it showed that um, we weren't worried about the users attending a user group. Yes. A lot of other uh, of our competitors didn't have user groups because they were going to get um, all sorts of negative feedback, which they yeah. didn't want, but they never bothered with user groups. Yes. But we went ahead and said, look, we believe in what we're doing. We believe our products are second to none. And if you have got a problem, then bring it up. And yeah. we'll sort it out amongst all of us. And that's quite a radical movement. And we, within IT Labs, we talk about radical transparency. So one mm -hmm. of the efforts is to, is to create that transparency across the organisation. So this is quite... Was this quite unusual for, for the time when you were setting this company up and the user group? Well, we also, when I had the previous company and we did the newspaper distribution software, we also had a user group for that. 
where you had people like WH Smith, Surridge Dawson, who were another multinational, as well as the little independent uh, newsagent wholesalers who were working out of terraced houses in most towns. So I learned from that and thought, well, we've got to do this with the airports. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it was always good feedback from the users in the, in the industry of the newspaper distribution. And I thought, well, we'll take that with us into the airport world. Yeah. And we were one of the only companies that ever had the guts to set up a user group within the airport uh, industry. Yeah, that's, that, that does take guts. And, and, and I guess going through the pain of the initial feedback, which I can imagine was a little bit more uh, challenging, uh, eventually it kind of smooths out and, and you're in line. You're aligned to the customer and they're aligned to what you're trying to achieve as well. Well, we never really had any real negative feedback because our, our solution was written in such a way that you didn't have to have a degree in computing to use it. Yes. A lot, a lot of systems, the programmers write it in such a way for them to use, where the actual user that's using it goes, um, if you take a ramp guy, maybe he doesn't have a computer at home, he goes home, goes to the pub, goes down the bookies, he's not interested in computing. Yeah. All he wants is a tool to do his job. So That's we right. made absolutely certain from day one that we produced a product that was simple to use. So another example is, as you may well know, everybody wants information out of systems. That's one of the reasons of putting computers in, installed into your business. Yeah. But a lot of them use these um, tools where you've got to understand databases and all the rest of it. And most of the people couldn't get their own reports out of the system. I mean, we did something like 80 standard reports, um, but they were saying, you know, can we have more reports? One do this, one to do that. And if you put a report generator in, it was fine if you had IT staff to run the reports, but the managers wanted to do it themselves. So we came up with this idea, well, what, what's something common that most of them use or would understand? And we came up with Excel, which is fairly simple to, to handle into mm. a spreadsheet. And we gave them the ability of selecting dates and times. So you could say we want information from this time, this date, to this time, this date. And then we gave them everything that the system had within it based on the user profile. So obviously, if you had um, an operations manager, you didn't let him get reports out on the finance, et cetera, et cetera. So it would come up and they'd be able to go in and tick the boxes of the information they wanted to appear in the spreadsheet. Mm. Okay. And then they could save that spreadsheet and rerun it every month just by changing the dates and the times. And then once they got it into an Excel spreadsheet, they could then play around with it and even use it for forecasting the following year and all the rest of it. And now these days, people are taking this uh, stuff from the Excel spreadsheets and putting it into things like Power BI. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the things that we've, we've pioneered is trying to keep it simple not trying to do things where you've got to have a degree in computing to use it. Yes. It's pointless because the majority of people that are running systems like this have not got degrees and they want just something as a tool. Like in the early days, a calculator helped you add up and subtract. And we wanted to try and keep that analogy where it would help them do their work 
easily every day and they didn't have to worry about the fact how the database put together what it did underneath and all the rest of it mm. so that's what we've tried to pride ourselves on that we've kept it simple and we understand that the people using it do not want to be computer gurus yes i love this because um again this is quite groundbreaking because one of the things i've noticed throughout my career is is that um when engineers are left to kind of create a product you can tell when an engineer has designed something it's not as usable it's it's very functional um but doesn't doesn't have that kind of uh user journey that you kind of expect so you yeah. were doing this early on you know way before uh, yes yeah and so it resolved the problems of the airport users so they had a tool that they could use they could play around with it in excel and then when things like power bi came out you can dump your excel spreadsheet information straight into power bi and it will graph it and do everything else which yeah. saved us having to do all the programming to do all of that i mean what's the point of writing a power bi if yeah. you can just buy one off the shelf yeah or you know why do, why would we bother writing our own uh, report generator when excel will give you exactly the same at something like what 50 quid a license yes that's right that's excellent that's a really good point and uh, and i imagine there's a number of uh, companies out there listening to this that you know um i've noticed this in my career as well where uh, they overcomplicate it and they create these tailor-made solutions and the solutions are already there on the shelf they're there yeah. to be used just to integrate yeah. to them we're looking all the time at what we can do to improve our offering to the airports and keep costs down because obviously again industry no matter what industry you're in one of the key elements is keeping your costs down to the bare minimum yes yeah and so that's one of our key key things is looking to see if there's something that we can do on the market to um, offer a cheaper solution than other people brilliant um, we looked at, we've done a security check-in at both gates and at the security where you go into the departure lounge where it will read both the um, A4 prints that you do at home for your boarding card or it will read your mobile phone. Um, so that was one thing we've done. We're now looking at if the government decide that these COVID if you're going abroad, you've got to have a COVID passport. Yeah. Well, if you can download it to a mobile phone or print it, then we could look at whether we can read that at the airport. Mm. And if the guy doesn't have a valid COVID passport, then he's declined the privilege of flying. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, I've heard about these new passports coming in. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and of course, the, the whole, uh, you know, the game is changing all the time. And, and I guess this is something that, uh, has been discussed a few times. So I'd be interested to see how that kind of moves forward. So coming back to you, Rick, um, as, a, as a leader, as a, as a person, you know, what, what's your passion? What really kind of gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you love? Well, my passion was flying. I had a World War II uh, Stearman biplane. Cool. Which was made by Boeing. And I, flew, I had that for over 20 years. And unfortunately, I uh, got a heart condition, which the CAA insisted I took warfarin my consultant said no, because warfarin is, as you well know, rat poison. And he put me on what they call Nuvo drug, drugs for arterial fibrillation. But the CAA decided that uh, they'd pull my license. So right. in the end, instead of me flying when I wanted to, it was always trying to find somebody to go with me 
as a safety pilot. So in the end, it just got on my nose and uh, sold the plane. Uh, but I enjoyed that. That was my passion flying. Yes. Um, since then, I bought myself uh, a 90, well, sorry, no, 2005 Mustang GT, left-hand drive. Uh, 4.6 litre, which before my wife got taken ill, we used to go to France in every year and tour all over France, do something like 1,500 to 3,000 miles in two weeks. Yeah. So I suppose my passion now is driving a Mustang. It really is a a beautiful car. Nothing else like it on the market. Yeah, I've seen I've seen them. I, I know I know what you mean. They are a delight to look at. So, and in the technology space, what's your kind of passion around that? Well, I don't really have any passions on technology because at the end of the day, to me, it's a tool and it doesn't excite me or anything else like that. I mean, the one thing I hate is the fact that Windows is the dominant um, in the marketplace and it's the most unreliable <laughs> product you can ever get. I mean, <laughs> right. if there was something else out there, I'm sure uh, it would have died a death a long time ago. I mean, I always say to people, if I was Gates, I would have charged a license fee for DOS when it started um, so that you had to pay recurring revenue every year, which would give you the new updates, etc. to you got to window 10. And he'd have made a fortune doing that, far more money than just selling licenses. Yeah. Because uh, every year in the old days, when new PC hardware came out, it needed the updated version of Windows to run it. Yeah. But now the hardware is virtually at a, a plateau. There's not a lot going on that's different. So mm. if a new PC comes out, it doesn't come out normally with any uh, groundbreaking technology. You might have a bit of a faster processor. Um, it'd be 64 bits instead of 32 bits or 16 bit. Yeah. But technology to me is a tool. Yeah. It's there yeah. to be used. Yeah. Yes, I've got PCs at home, you know, a couple of laptops, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not enamoured that, you know, I think, oh, my God, I've got to go down and play with me PC. I'm not, <laughs> a, games, I'm not a games person. All right. My grandson is, and I can see what he likes. You know, it's brilliant. Cool. Gives him the, uh, he can pretend he's a space soldier or whatever and go out there and killing aliens all over the place etc etc yeah but i've had a go at it but uh it's maybe it's my age it doesn't yeah. turn me on that much that's good yeah we'll have to find a world war ii uh, uh or a kind of a, a set of flight simulator for you to kind of uh, have a go on you know coming to your leadership then rick you know what what kind of uh what 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 have you learned through years of leading a company what's the kind of tips of things to do and or not to do well, i think one of the main thing is you have to believe in the team that you've put up around you and listen to their ideas as well obviously if you feel they're wrong you have to say to them i'm sorry i can't do this for the various reasons mm. but what you try and do is you try and in, in um, ingrain in them that the fact is that they're part of the company as well as you even though i'm the owner yeah. So, to give an example, my product manager has been with me since inception. Uh, one of the programmers has been with me for 28 years, things like that. So, it's very rare that you actually can go into companies these days where you can say you've got people that have stayed with you as well as your customers as well yeah. for that length of time. So, what you're trying to do is lead by example, listen to what they say, 
obviously if it's something you can't um, do you mm. have to explain to them i'm sorry and give them the reason so you try and treat them as human beings as yeah. well as employees excellent and that brings me on to a kind of follow-on question which is that how do you get the best out of your team so you've got these great people um and you know you want to get the most out of them for the business and for your your own kind of sanity really how do you kind of go about that well obviously we have regular meetings and things like that and discussions but one of the main things is that they have an interest in aviation so a lot of times in programming you write code and you see nothing for it that's right in our industry you can see if you do something for flight information so we're talking to Cardiff Airport about the fact if they're going to upgrade to a new FID system, we can actually show two languages by flight. Mm. One of those languages could be Welsh. Yes. So, you know, the programmer gets some satisfaction out of it by actually seeing something that he's done yeah. rather than a printout that's printing out a load of numbers. Yes. From the customer point of view, and from the Welsh government point of view, when I met with the Welsh language chairman, well, they were very keen to do this because it meant that school kids learning Welsh in school could actually see it being used properly in an environment like when they went on holiday. So trying to, to get people who have an interest in aviation who aren't just wanting to be number crunchers, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a passion for what you're working on and to yes. understand the kind of customer. And during yeah. the kind of COVID uh, situation, have you, how have you kind of led through that and got the best out of your teams? Because has that changed the game? Not really, no, because uh, all our customers have carried on paying us. Obviously, we have contracts. They have some aviation, even if it's freight bringing in um, stuff from China for protective clothing, etc., etc. Where the staff uh, wanted to, they work from home. I've got one guy that didn't want to work from home, so he goes into the office on his own. And we can work remotely and we can support all the customers remotely using third-party tools like TeamViewer, yes. where you can actually get into the customer site, which also gives us the ability, it doesn't matter where the customer is, we can actually do training over TeamViewer during COVID, or we can do support over TeamViewer in any part of the world. Right, yeah. COVID really hasn't impacted us, other than the fact we haven't been able to get together as we used to uh, because of the restrictions. But yeah. Apart from that, we've kept going in exactly the same way. We're working on new projects. At the moment, we're looking at flight strip printing, um, because some of our customers want a, a cheaper version using, if you go into a chemist shop, the little strip printer that prints the label for your medicine is, uh, I think it's from a company called Zebra. Yeah. They're cheap and cheerful, and wow. they'll print flight strips out. Wow, okay. And the other thing we're looking at is overflight billing. Now, in Europe, we've never done anything because Eurocontrol do it all out of Brussels. But lots of countries now, especially in the Middle and the Far East, are looking at raising revenue by doing a better uh, version of flight billing. This is where every country has a flight information region around it, and you have entry and exit points. So if you fly through that airspace, they can put a charge on it while they're talking to you and guiding you through their airspace. Equally, you can enter the airspace and then land at an airport. So you can charge for that as well. And you can charge for the flight within the FIR from airports within the FIR. So 
Right. That's Indonesia from Jakarta to Bali. Wow. Now again, because we understand a bit more of the business and other people, we've we can bill in two currencies. So these Far East and Middle Eastern countries want to charge the international aircraft flying through or flying in in US dollars to get hard currency into their economy. Um, but for people flying in the local airlines uh, between two uh, airports within the FIR, we can charge in the local currency. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. So you're obviously solving, creating lots of yeah. revenue for the for for lots of people, which is uh, brilliant. You know, uh, uh, fattening the bottom line of, uh, yeah. of various organisations. <laughs> I, I believe that uh, cash flow is next to godliness. Yes, yeah, that's right. It, it is, and when you speak to People in the business space, cash flow, well, it makes or breaks a business. I think it's the most common way a business actually folds. It's uh, it's cash flow. Yes. Mm. And you've got to be absolutely certain that uh, your bottom line is right. From your um, leadership perspective, uh, what keeps you up at night? What's the things that uh, play on your mind? Well, nothing really. I've tried over the years to leave business in business Cool. come up at night and uh, you know be a family man if you I, I don't believe that you can uh, you shouldn't bring your business problems back home because it's not uh, a good thing for marriage if you're coming yeah. out onto the wife oh I've got real problems <laughs> yeah I try and keep it as a separate thing yeah and I think that's why I've been in the industry so long yeah etc etc yeah uh, what would make it easier? Lower taxes so we can invest more money into the future. Yeah. What makes it harder is obviously whenever COVID's around, it's going to impact what the airports are going to do in development over the next few years. Very true. Yeah. I, mean, I, I firmly believe there won't be any summer holidays this year. As we kind of come to the end of the, of the podcast, um, I've got a few interesting questions, but I think they're interesting anyway. Um, what uh, what advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders out there? Because I mean, you've seen it from the word go. You know, it's you've been through well, the whole thing. The main thing is listen to your your customers. That's the main thing. Don't believe you know better than they do. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's the main thing. Listen to what they have to say. Uh, because at the end of the day. They're buying your services. Yes. If you can help them, you have to advise them. You don't tell them, you advise and give them the benefits of why they should go down that route. Yeah, brilliant. And to avoid is you don't lecture them. Yeah. And again, the, the one thing I learned very early on in this industry is just because we speak computerese doesn't mean the customer does. So a lot of the customers say it's far easier to do with your company because we can talk in our language, which is, again, a separate thing inside airports, and we don't have to keep explaining to you what we mean. Yes. And you don't talk back to us in computerese because if you're just a computer person, that's what you're trying to get over to the customer. He doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear the solution you're offering him in his own language. Brilliant. Yeah, I like that. Great advice. That's that's wonderful advice. And in, in your kind of journey as a tech leader, is there any books that you'd recommend for aspiring tech leaders or just tech leaders out there in general that you think are definite reads? Not really, no. I mean, I, I've gone on my own experience. I don't have time to read books. I do read books, obviously. Yeah. But I haven't ever come across one that said, oh, this is 
shone the light towards me because yeah. at the end of the day, and if I wrote a book, then maybe it would help other people in the airport industry running a software company. Yeah. And if there was somebody had done that, maybe I would have read it because it would have been, I've been able to understand where they were coming from. Right. But, but just, just because somebody else, a tech leader is writing a book, how to run a computer company in the, uh, 20, uh, 2030s or something like that. Yeah. It, it's interesting really what they think. And at the end of the day, I believe if you're a good business leader, you have a good technological background, but you understand the day-to-day -day problems and you're able to attribute them to the solutions that you're going to offer your customers. Brilliant. All right, great advice. Thank you for your sharing your thoughts on that one. It's um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, valid based on your experience and where you, wh where you've come from. And if I was a tech genie for a minute, just imagine, Rick, I'm a tech genie. Uh, I can offer you a wish for your industry, your leadership, your company. What would that be? Somebody replaces Microsoft with a reliable product. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the um yeah okay we'll, we'll see what we can do i'll send that one on to bill gates and uh we'll see what he can do for that <laughs> yeah um and was uh, and as we kind of come to the end what's our your kind of key takeaway for the tech leader women and men out there uh in in similar positions what what gift would you offer them as advice listen to your staff and listen specifically to your customer base Brilliant. They'll guide you on the way that you should be progressing your company. And if you listen and you do it correctly, then you'll make money and you'll be successful. Excellent. And on that note, brilliant advice, Rick. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely having you on CTO Confessions. All right. Well, thank you. And hopefully uh, it will help a few people make their minds up about what they should be doing about airport solutions. Cool. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Well, what I love about Rick's story is how he lived through the various evolutions of technology, including his journey from pilot to serving the airport industry as a CTO. So my key takeaways from the conversation were as follows. Firstly, the importance of finding a niche in a market and really focusing on it, serving your customers' needs in that very narrow window of opportunity. My second key takeaway is Rick's journey as a tech leader, from his early mainframe days to the modern digital world we are all immersed in. Thirdly and finally, Rick's approach to making sure that the products they are creating are hitting the mark time and time again, i.e. by creating a user group with people in that industry, handing it to them and allowing them to direct where their needs are and thus creating the features that are needed. I love this elegant solution and it's quite a brave thing to do which reminds me of a great quote by Ovid, fortune and love favour the brave. So there's a lesson for us all. So what were your key takeaways from the podcast? What did you learn from Rick's story and journey? So thank you again, Rick. Thank you for your time and sharing how you have made a success of your organisation. And I wish you and your company ongoing success. And finally, Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, 
including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.